Dead characters do not yield spin-offs. I've been rooting for the unicorn to show up ever since I saw it on the whiteboard. <laughs> there you go. On a scale of one to five sexist surgery machines. This is serious business. Greetings! I suppose I should begin this episode with a monologue about the vice president and maybe John Travolta's ability to say names, but this is serious business, and I am Jeff, your host for this week's episode, and tonight, we got a very special show tonight! Got Bastille here. No, we don't actually have Bastille here. I'm sorry. With music Tonight, by the Roots. Music by the Roots. The legendary Roots. And, they, you know, they've earned that. They've earned that. Tonight, we're actually going to talk about late night television, which is something we've never had a chance to talk about on the show, and I'm very excited about it. So joining me for this episode, we've got John. John, how's it going? Going well, Jeff. Glad to hear it. Uh, John, what is your favorite character, cast member, or era of Saturday Night Live? I'm going to have to go fairly modern on this one and say uh, Fred Armisen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is that because of Portlandia? Partly. But, no, I, I've always liked the the characters that he does, his impressions. And my my favorite skit that he does would probably have to be Californians. Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you doing here? And I, I think even his whole time there, the, the Fred Armisen, Bill Hader, uh, Kristen Wiig... Era, I mean, that would probably have to be my favorite. Just because it's, I don't know, it's a very good modern version of the show with the digital shorts and a lot of surprise cameos and guest appearances. And plus, that was sort of like the first time that I started watching it regularly. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have to say that that's my favorite. That's my yeah. favorite. The Fred Armisen era is my favorite yeah that's that's a pretty solid era i would say and will ferrell was kind of like i think he left the show during that era but at that point he was like the veteran and, yeah that uh, was like the time where the, he was sort of like passing the tour once will ferrell left that's when the you know the other cast members started to come to prominence mm -hmm, yeah like bill Hader and all of them oh absolutely and what if anything are you drinking this fine evening i am drinking a sam adams cold snap Ooh, i like the way you accented your pee yeah mm -hmm. uh I was actually just in the liquor store, and I saw the first of the summer beers available. So I didn't, I didn't buy it. It was, it was too soon for me, on account of we have a huge snowstorm on Wednesday coming, but uh, not yet. Too soon. Uh, <laughs> nice. And moving on, we got Kristen. Kristen, how's it going? It's going well. I'm glad to hear it. Kristen, uh, what is your favorite character, actor, actress, or era of Saturday Night Live? Oh, character? It has to be Stefan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like the "Kiss Me, I'm Irish" skit, the best. Well, like, <laughs> <if> you insist. <laughs> I like that Bill Hader can't. He can't do that character without breaking. Well, uh, I saw an interview with him. What they do is they put in jokes that he hasn't seen before, yeah. and so he sees them coming up with a teleprompter, and he just starts laughing. So but they're he... doing it to him on purpose. Right. It's not a Fallon effect. Mm -hmm. That's true. Thank God it's not a Fallon effect. Mm -hmm. But I think he also, he does it really gracefully, and he, like, made it part of the character. Yeah. Like, I feel like if he weren't breaking, it wouldn't be anywhere near as funny, or it wouldn't really be Stefan. Yeah. You know? yeah. If you're in New York, you have to go to Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin? His voice completely changes. It's great. And I love, like, on, uh, on Twitter when gay marriage was passed in New York, Seth Meyers is like, I've already gotten about 50 calls from Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I, I think that's an excellent choice. And what, if anything, are you drinking this fine evening? Uh, Life-giving coffee. Ooh. Not a bad choice. I keep saying evening, but this is a rare early recording for yeah. us, which is extra <laughs> ironic given the subject matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so... I, I think coffee is appropriate, given <laughs> given the hour of the day. And let's see. You know, it's funny. I I came up with this question, like, a week ago uh, based on this, and I, I, I'm not sure I have an answer. I think I would have said, era-wise, the Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, Dana Carvey, Mike Myers yeah. glory days. But I haven't seen so many of those sketches in so long that I wonder, I question if they actually hold up. Yeah. Um, like not the way close, not too far, being mm -hmm. prudent. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've actually watched a couple sketches, and they hold up all right. I think age has, you know, with a lot of time, we tend to be a little bit nostalgic over that era, and it's mm -hmm. definitely, you know, it's definitely comedy gold. But I think a lot of times SNL gets 
unfairly compared to that era. You know, like some a lot of people say, like, oh, it's not as good as the Chris Farley era. You know, mm-hmm. like, but I think you know nowadays they're just as good as as that time. Yeah, I, I I could see that, and I bet people during that era were doing the exact same thing with Belushi and uh, right. Steve Martin and the, that the the true golden age uh, as people referred to it. But I I still think if I were to watch the I think Chris Farley would probably have to be the standout for me from that yeah. era, just because he took not funny things and made them funny, and anyone who can do that on SNL. Uh, anyone who can really elevate the writing is a comedic genius. What was that? <laughs> Godzilla. That was a Godzilla cat. Yeah. Um, uh, I did hear an interview with Jane Curtin, who was like one of the I think original members, or mm-hmm. really close yeah. to it, and she was saying she got like the first season DVD or whatever, and she was like, it was so bad. <laughs> so there, there have always been stinker sketches. I think there's probably like at most three good sketches per episode. Yeah. The entire run of it. And then right. the rest is just filler and late night stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's why I think when we look back at stuff through the lens of these best of sort of yeah. compilations, we get this romanticized look. But man, some of those are so good. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I remember during Will Ferrell's, like, heyday, I actually didn't find him that funny. And then when the best of Will Ferrell Volume 1 came out, I yeah. was like, this is the greatest material I've ever seen. It's all sifted through. Right. The lovers' sketches are not yeah. that funny in general, except in the precise right highlight dose. Uh, <laughs> then it's like the funniest thing ever. But I still... Cowbell, I though. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Bruce Dickinson? Classic. The Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. Chris, Christopher guys, Walken. Guys, I put my pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> oh, man. Bruce Dickinson. Mm-hmm. The one Chris Farley sketch that stands out to me the most, oddly enough, it's not like one of his major character bits. It's not like Van Down by the River guy or any any of that yeah. stuff. It's when he's just doing that ad with Adam Sandler for a house sitting service. Schmitz Gay? No, not Schmitz Gay. Although Schmitz Gay is really funny. It begins with Adam Sandler. It might be David Spade actually. I can't, oh. I can't remember. But he's like, let me let me water your plants. Yeah, that's Adam Sandler. Right. And then... I uh, can't order your plan. (laughs) It keeps cutting to Chris Farley, and he's just, like, so incredulous about Mm -hmm. the whole thing. And Adam Sandler breaks completely by the end of it. (laughs) I think Adam Sandler always broke around Chris Farley, too, because they would do those sketches where they would be the old married couple, and Adam Sandler would just constantly (laughs) be talking about how he wanted God to kill him. (laughs) Actually, uh, Adam Sandler has said in interviews that especially in that sketch with the old couple, Chris Farley is very deliberately trying to break him. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, there's one of them where he's, like, rubbing his leg. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can see Adam Sandler just completely, like, come apart. It was, it's awesome. Zag it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. Um, and, uh, I, I guess I never mentioned what I was drinking. I'm, I'm doing another White Russian. I just am. <laughs> it's not even it's not even day of the dude or remotely close to day of the dude anymore but i'm still drinking white you Russians. just like them man nice. yeah they're grown-up chocolate milk can't go wrong hopefully i won't get into too much trouble with them like i did last week yeah <laughs> excuse you chocolate milk is grown-up chocolate milk chocolate milk is grown-up chocolate oh, i guess you're uh, that's fair yeah. sure i won't take chocolate milk away from from grown-ups yay I won't. All right, so there are several different flavors of late-night television. Obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about Saturday Night Live, which is up there among the oldest television institutions out there. But we've also got the other major network shows, and you've got kind of the stoner late-night shows with Adult Swim and that sort of thing. But I would I would argue that probably the current generation's pinnacle of late-night TV belongs to Comedy Central and The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, as well as Colbert. And I guess I want to start by asking if you guys agree with that. Do you think that that's basically this generation's Johnny Carson? It's the most relevant. I mean, yeah. stuff you see quoted back. And I think Colbert is actually gaining on Stewart quite a bit. Like, because Daily Show is getting the same kind of old jokes. And it's almost not funny anymore because, I mean, it's just so sad and, like, depressing most of the time. 
Yeah. John Stewart, you know, he's not hiding how angry he is anymore, and so it kind of is down to the correspondence to bring the funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was definitely, there, there have been several recent instances where John Stewart has either gone on a very humorous rant or a very serious rant. You know, humorous rant, for instance, Chicago Pizza. Oh my god, when he was yelling at Trump about eating his pizza with a fork and stacking his slices, I like watch that every few months. It mm-hmm. just makes me so happy. Is Mayor, Mayor de Blasio getting in a lot of trouble? Uh, see, I don't watch them regularly. I just like someone posts a clip and I'll watch it, no questions. Mm-hmm. But like, I do most of my late night watching online the day after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, feel like too. that's <laughs> it's not uncommon. Late night, I mean, for me at least, it really isn't late night. I mean, with Hulu, pretty much exclusively Hulu, that's how people watch television. So all the late night shows happen, you know, a lot of the watching happens during the day. I would think more and more people are watching those shows by Hulu. So, I don't know, it's funny that, you know, we still regard them as late night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because you you can sort of tell that that genre, I guess if you were to call it a genre of the late night talk show, was born out of a specific thing that people really wanted before they go to bed like i want a release from the tension of the day and i want to laugh at how stupid everything is yeah and it turns out that that does have universal appeal because even though i do definitely watch them late at night sometimes live particularly i watch saturday night live often when it airs still i don't know why i still do that it's it's weird but it does just sort of happen mm-hmm. but most other things I, I watch the daily show when i get home from work the previous night's daily show when i get home from work uh, yeah that sort of thing i think they'll continue to air late at night uh, oh yeah i mean i'm not saying it's gonna decades, i'm yeah. not saying it's gonna change anything i'm just saying that it's a big you know it's just a a modern day thing where those types of shows are being they're still being watched a lot they're just being watched at different times and stuff I think it's leading to a change in the approach, especially Fallon. I think Fallon's the most smart about what sort of things he's doing, like, you know, the lip sync battles and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which are just viral bait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it lends itself to the format. To, like, YouTube video that everyone's, you know, spreads around. And it's like SNL, where it's like, you, you do a lot of skits, and one of them sticks. And that's what he's doing. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Paul Rudd doing the lip sync battles have both been excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Fallon has that unique. He's not quite young, not quite old appeal. Like he'll 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 get those viral kind of YouTube videos out there. But like the sixty-five-year-old who's been watching the Tonight Show for thirty-five years and has certain expectations yeah. is not like put off by Fallon. Like Conan. Yeah, yeah like he's Conan. striking. He's striking a very delicate balance. Like. Mm-hmm. He's classy enough to hold on to the older audiences, yet he's bringing like a, a hip SNL flavor to that the late night format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Look at that nice young man. <laughs> he seems so earnest. He's he not giggles that's, so much. That yeah. Jimmy Fallon is so handsome. Mm-hmm. That's true. I have heard that a lot. I have heard that he is apparently very handsome, which I did not realize. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I did not realize that that was part of his appeal because particularly when he was on SNL I didn't get it because he he did, uh, we, we mentioned Fallon syndrome earlier, he had this problem where he broke on his own jokes and not in a like endearing way I think yeah, he's I... just so happy to be on TV that he can't contain himself mm-hmm. which makes him a terrible sketch comedian and an yeah, awesome really host did... yeah I really didn't like him on SNL, to be honest. Like, the Tina Fey era, I mean, I didn't really care for SNL back then. But I really like him on his first late-night show in The Tonight Show. I think he's great. I think he works much better in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would agree, actually. You know, I, I don't mean to take away from Jimmy Fallon, despite the fact that I'm, I was talking about that. I think he really found his voice with the music stuff. Yeah. Because um, it's so sincere. Like, you can tell he has a deep appreciation for music. And... The way he integrates it into his comedy, it saved him in my eyes. I could not see his appeal until I saw that, and then I was like, oh, he actually is something special. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Have you seen him writing the thank you notes? Yeah, those are <laughs> I love those that. It's just like uh, a little motion with the pen as he yeah. dives into another one. It's great. <laughs> well, I think that's a, a battle with him and the musician. I think, I think they try to, he well, tries to yeah. throw the musician off and... He's never able to because the guy is always dead on. Well, I think just it's like... actually a cue. I mean, mm-hmm. like you see the arm going for the big swing, start playing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I thought that I was going to check out Fallon a little bit when he started The Tonight Show and then just sort of be done with it. Uh, and even after I watched, the, I watched his first episode, I was like, okay, that's fine. But I found myself going back to it a lot on Hulu. Mm -hmm. And it may also just have something to do with the fact that there's such high quantity of it. Like, when you're doing the a la carte television thing, it's nice to have a staple hour-long show that you know will always have fresh content. So it's been, it's been good in that regard. And I... I I watch it fairly regularly so far. I've seen maybe half of the episodes since uh, he took over, which surprises even me saying it out loud right now. <laughs> so uh, do you guys have any uh, feelings about Seth Meyers taking over uh, Late Night? I... I saw one of his sketches. It wasn't good. Yeah, Michelle and I watched this first episode, and we said that we'd go back and check it out. Because, I mean, we basically walked away from it thinking that he needed some time to develop, and I think... What he's basically doing is taking the weekend update format from SNL mm -hmm. and trying to stretch that into a whole show. And it felt yeah. very like the the type of humor that he does felt awkward without the little graphics next to him. I think when you see him just do that in monologue form, it feels awkward because you realize how the, the visual humor, how far that visual humor goes with those little graphics that appear on weekend update. And he seemed a little awkward, you know, like you could some jokes definitely fell short and didn't didn't get any laughs, but I don't know. I thought it was just it was just okay. But like I said, we haven't checked back to see how he's doing now. I mean, maybe he's sort of found his way and it's better now. But Michelle and I weren't really that impressed. Yeah, <laughs> it's a shame because I liked him on Weekend Update and I loved his White House correspondence dinner speech. But he doesn't yeah. seem suited for the whole sketch thing, which is what it seems like he's trying to do. He's more sit behind a desk and just read the yeah. news. <laughs> Which is really a, a short format that works well for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember being surprised by his correspondence dinner. I still, I, you know, I wasn't floored by it. Uh, there's certainly been better ones. I don't think anyone will ever come as close to the, the ballsiness of Colbert when Colbert did it during the Bush days. That, like, floored me completely. But Seth Meyers did a lot better than I thought he would because, you know, as a weekend update anchor, I, I thought he was fine but he was only as good as the people around him like when stefan would come on yeah. he would have like a good rapport with stefan but by himself he was just sort of smarmy but not not all that funny i have to confess i haven't actually seen his version of late night but i'll give it a i'll give it a shot and i i feel bad because comedians on television i feel like they really don't get a lot of time to develop i mean obviously with conan's tonight show sort of situation it's like you have this one shot if you had one chance, uh, <laughs> and then if it doesn't work out for you in like two months, you're done, or even even less than that sometimes. So, well, I think the other thing about Seth Meyers is that he's not really a comedian. Like Jamie Fallon's a comedian, Conan O'Brien's a comedian, Jay Leno. Dave, I mean, all those guys are essentially <laughs> comedians. But well, I'm not saying Jay Leno's a good comedian. I'm just saying true. He is a comedian. He definitely um, is a comedian by profession. Right, but <laughs> or was. Seth Meyers. Seth Meyers is more a writer than anything yeah. else. Like he started on SNL as a full-on cast member who appeared in sketches, and then over time that tapered off, and he became the head writer, and he only appeared in Weekend Update. So now the fact that he's hosting a whole show, I think that that's part of the trouble too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear you. I want to talk a little bit more about this, but I think it is time for our first refill break of the evening. I need some more alcoholic chocolate milk. So, yay. <laughs> yay. We will be our meat. Now let's get started by letting me give you a little bit of a scenario of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old. I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. And we're back. We were talking a little bit about Seth Meyers, and, you know, I want to I wanna take us back in time maybe, uh, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago, to a time when the world was a very different place. My God, no one remembers that time. And no, back when Barack Obama was popular, and, uh, <laughs> but we had the whole Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien kerfuffle. I want to ask if you guys have particular opinions regarding Conan O'Brien. I do. Okay. Uh, let's start with Kristen. Okay. Mine will be short because I don't think I really get it that much. Mm. But as much as I don't get Conan, I really don't like Leno. And my mom watched him 
And sometimes if I'd be like, you know, staying with her or whatever, it'd be on. And he's just so mean. Like all the jaywalking stuff is like, look at this idiot. As you like accost someone on the street and like ask them questions out of the blue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't necessarily get Conan, you know, on his side and everything. Because Leno is way worse. Mm-hmm. What about you, John? I actually really liked Conan O'Brien around when that whole situation was going on. I was following it and actually watching a lot of the a lot of his Tonight shows, and I was really into them. I, I like I I didn't always like Conan O'Brien. I guess I didn't get him initially. I like when I started watching his Tonight shows. I thought it was pretty funny. I thought he was definitely funnier than Jay Leno. I mean, I think he really got the the short end of the stick there on, the, on that deal. I don't I don't think they ever should have forced him out of the Tonight Show to begin with. I mean, I don't recall what the exact ratings breakdown was back then, but I think he definitely got screwed out bad. Yeah, I would say it was way premature, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it was only like six months, six or seven months or something like that. Right, and uh, I definitely felt bad for him on that front. I actually loved Conan O'Brien in the 90s. The, the late Night Show, when he was running it, was fantastically funny. All the stuff they did to Triumph the Insult comic dog was very yeah. funny, particularly the Star Wars convention. <laughs> and I know that that wasn't him, that was Jack Candy, Robert Smigel. Oh, Robert uh, Smigel, who did the great uh, TV Funhouse work with Saturday Night Live. But uh, Conan also did several great segments, like when he went up to uh, Hunter S. Thompson's ranch in upstate New York, mm-hmm. which was the most absurd and hilarious bit I think I've ever seen a late night talk show do. But the whole ordeal actually soured me on Conan, oddly enough. And it's funny mm-hmm. because I, I do objectively believe that he got screwed over by the fact that prematurely they decided to move away from him so quickly. But I watched the documentary. Can't uh, stop? Yeah. Where he's a dick? He was insufferable for, like, the whole fucking thing. And pardon my Wait. French, but, like, holy crap, man. What I'm sorry that you had to go home and go to sleep on $40 million. I didn't realize that was so terrible for you. I know. Like, he, was, well, he was, like, terrorizing his entire staff. It was bad. Yeah. It's yeah. funny, and, if you see Russell Brand when he's on his show, and they're talking, like, personas, and Russell Brand totally calls him on it. And, what, and you can see this? Conan bristling. It's great. What is this documentary? I've never heard of it. So Conan did like a live tour in his year off following uh, the Tonight Show ordeal where he had his beard and he was like, you know, in like full midlife crisis mode. (laughs) And uh, Can't Stop, I think, was actually a first party documentary that that they produced themselves Mm -hmm. uh, just about it. Is it on Netflix? Yes. I'm not. I guess so. Yeah. I don't even remember where I saw it. But, you know, I don't want to be too hard on him, but. He also came across as a real dick to his fans. He was like, God, these people are so all over the place, and like, I never get a break. And it's like, well, yeah, it's because you're doing a live tour across the country, and people love you. And like, you keep signing up for stuff. Like, you keep People ask you, and you keep saying yes to doing yeah. these events. It's like, it's not their fault that people show up. Right, and it's like, I recognize that that is hard. That is not an easy job. It is, f- like, full-time in the full sense of the word like you are never turned off mm-hmm. but it mm. just felt like he would he would just be mean about it instead yeah. of uh, anything else like he he came off as a very imposing person to work with or for or around and i guess that's just part of his sense of humor but i feel I, like and i still like conan i still like watching his show i think he's funny i think he's very very smart but I just don't think I would get along with him in real life. Like, he's not hes not my type. He doesn't come off as, like, the laid-back comedian who just sort of is funny and likes to joke around with his friends. It was more like... It was more aggressive than that. It was, like, competitive comedy. Like, hmm. uh, a bunch of friends who, like, get together and play soccer every week and take it way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, the sense I got from it. Need um, to be the funniest one in the room at all times. Right, exactly, and and at the expense of other people. Mm-hmm. It would be like Jonah Hill would show up, and they would like bully him, but they, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we're just messing around," you know. But you'd be like, "I don't know if they're just messing around. Yeah. Like, they're being really mean to that guy." Which is why I don't like his clips online, especially like it has a lot to do with his staff, and he's always like being really pointed. Like it's funny as hell, but it's also like 
you see the light in the other people's eyes just sort of flickering a little bit. You know, that said, he obviously does still have a tremendous following. And it's a deserved following, obviously. Like, he's an incredibly talented individual. Just a masturbating yeah. bear. I don't get it. <laughs> well, this is all news to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to go investigate this before <laughs> I can mm-hmm. fully form an opinion about this now. Sorry, mm-hmm. we were like... I thought I, I thought I had it figured out. We're breaking well, down idols left and right. <laughs> well, it's funny, because both... I I think Conan runs his current cable show out of L.A. still. I'm not positive about that, but Jay Leno also, obviously, Tonight Show did it in L.A. He's a big L.A. guy. But both of them have deep New England roots. Jay Leno was the pride of my alma mater of Emerson College. You cannot go to any sort of promotional event for Emerson without some mention of the fact that Jay Leno went there. And then Conan obviously was a Harvard guy, and uh, I think he grew up in Brookline. I'm pretty sure Conan did a stint, was probably in charge of the Lampoon. I don't actually know for sure. but uh, Oh, probably. Oh, probably. But uh, I just always found that interesting, that both of these guys had oddly similar pathways and ended up in L.A. like kind of competing with each other. Um, I wonder if they really hate each other in real life. Nah. I, I bet I would... Be willing to that Conan does hate Leno and that Leno doesn't think about well, him at all. Yeah, yeah. It could be. Just his cars, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, the, the huge drama that predates all of that is the Letterman-Leno drama. Yeah. Which, that's... which goes Speaking way Speaking of other back. people I don't get. That's yeah. before my time. Mm-hmm. Because that was like early, that's, what was that? Yeah, that was early 90s, right? Mm-hmm. The late night wars. Definitely. That's... I think was spawned by uh, the who who is the true successor to Johnny Carson kind of right. thing. Also I think speaking le- of giant dicks, apparently. <laughs> oh really? I don't know. I don't know anything about Johnny Carson aside from the fact that he was admired so much by our parents' generation. But yeah, was, but he, I, was I, I according to Joan Rivers, who worked mm-hmm. on that show, he had his stage persona, and then that would just turn right off. Mm. Yeah, from what I hear, he was. He was a bit of a dick. Yeah. God, I really hope that that's not like every <laughs> late night. Con- like, yeah. I really hope John Stewart's not a dick. I bet no, he's not. He doesn't come was, off as one. He's just I think too self-deprecating of... to be a dick. He's a dick to himself. That's true. I hope so. God, it would be so bad though if like him and Colbert, like when they turn the lights off, are just like intern. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Colbert would break my heart. The, the rest of them I could believe it, but Colbert, that would break my heart. No, I, I think Johnny Carson was just, you know, part of that old guard, that old school, mm. big show ta- show business type, you know, that, that has a real chip on his shoulder. Right, who was secretly a racist or something. Yeah. Exactly. Just about, I, I'm still convinced that just about every famous person from uh, the baby boomers, you know, <laughs> peak years was secretly a horrible racist. <laughs> anybody that was famous before the year, before 1980 was... <laughs> mm-hmm. The old Frank Sinatra had ties to the mob syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something going on there. How else did they make it big? But, uh, you know, I didn't get Letterman either for a long time until I saw some of his highlight reel interviews. And there are several of them. And it's not that they're particularly good or funny. They're just so weird. (laughs) Okay. Like, it's unbelievable to me. I highly recommend the Madonna interview which is, it's something that anyone who has any interest in broadcast television should watch. Because basically, he sets up the interview by saying something along the lines of, an incredibly talented individual who slept at, with everyone in Hollywood. Yikes. And then she, she comes out and whispers something in his ear. Mm. And, and then for the rest of the interview, she is incredibly abrasive but in a really overt way. Like, like she might as well be sitting there with a cigar in her mouth. Like, I think on The Daily Show, Kristen Shaw did a segment recently about what it would be <laughs> like to be, if women were in the position of, like, CEOs that men are in, and how, like, if a woman could interview a man the way, like, those men interview women, basically sitting back in her chair with a cigar, like, hey, sugar tits, like... Yeah. <laughs> Madonna is like that to Letterman for the entire interview. Magnificent. And <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 incredible to watch because Letterman like sort of handles it like I, I don't know it's just like 
it's it's perplexing and enthralling, and I highly I won't say too much about the rest of it. But the other more recent examples are like the Joaquin Phoenix interview, where Joaquin Phoenix was being crazy as part of his performance art period. Yeah. The Bill O'Reilly interview that where he was calls p- Beyonce a thug. It's like okay. Now yeah. we all know what you're really saying when you say that mm-hmm. word. So those those Letterman interviews are are definitely recommended watching for if you want to understand like what Letterman is all about, I guess, which is about insanely uncomfortable situations that somehow bring these like high and mighty personas down to earth. It's like, oh, there's a real human being behind that, and they have psychological problems. I I, I got Letterman a bit more after watching those. Uh, even so, though, I still don't watch his show regularly or anything like that. I don't want to let this go without bringing up Ferguson. I love mm. Craig Ferguson. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ferguson. <laughs> and, um, I mean, the, the talking skeleton got a little weird, but, like, just his, you know, completely off-the-cuff, weird-ass monologues... And mm-hmm. the fact that he basically doesn't bring anyone on a show unless he's interested in talking to them. Yeah, he definitely is a good interviewer. I actually, whenever I watch his shows, it's almost exclusively for the interview, which is weird because that's the opposite of how I watch almost every other yeah. late-night TV show. Like, The Daily Show, it gets the interview. If it's an actor or actress... Forget it. I'm, like, immediately like, okay, done. Episode yeah. over. But Craig Ferguson, especially when it's an actor or an actress on Craig Ferguson, it's like they sit back and shoot the shit. They know each other... And it's a casual conversation. It doesn't feel like there was any prep involved, but it goes really well. Yeah. So, yeah, I I would agree with that. And do you guys watch Jimmy Kimmel ever? <sighs> Only if there's like a guest on that I like, because he's had Benedict Cumberbatch on a couple times, so that's <laughs> when I'll watch it. <laughs> Naturally, John. What about you? Yeah, I would say that we watch Jimmy Kimmel clips just about as frequently as Jimmy Fallon clips, especially all the stuff with the kids and the Halloween candy. And I also like the unnecessary censorship bit that he does. Mm-hmm. But I think he's got, you know, he's really good with guests as well. And to me, I mean, I would say I like Jimmy Kimmel just as much as I like Jimmy Fallon mm-hmm. as a late night guy. I think Kimmel's got the same music thing going also. Fallon definitely like integrates it into bits, but I think Kimmel is as excited about certain musical guests in a sincere way as, uh, as Fallon is. My favorite Jimmy Kimmel clip, and, you know, that's not fair of me to say because I think I've only seen, like, ten total. <laughs> but my favorite one is the Rammstein performance. Uh, what happens? They get together an outdoor stage, and the German band Rammstein shows up, and they perform Du Hast. And the, the pyrotechnics are incredibly dangerous looking. <laughs> and basically, the lead singer... First off, the lead singer has an LED in his mouth in his mouth, which is really crazy looking. And then he gets out this giant thing that looks, imagine like a bow from a bow and arrow, only instead of a string, it's got kind of a solid portion that you can hold on to. So, uh, or a giant protractor, um, something like that. Uh, <laughs> basically, he, ever said protractor. we can get some math majors on here oh, and they God. would be even more excited. But he grabs onto it and he starts spinning and the entire angle, the outer angle of it, starts launching massive waves of sparks and fire. And he's just swinging it around in circles in the middle of this outdoor stage. And I'm like, that A, looks incredibly unsafe, and B, is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I will find a clip of it. It will go on the Tumblr for sure, because it it was amazing. So let's jump back towards Comedy Central again, because I feel like there's there's more to talk about with Jon Stewart. And specifically, I want to talk about these polls that, that keep being released that reveal the fact that the Daily Show is where most of people the under the age of 26, probably, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the age is, get their news. Um, How old am I? It's that age. <laughs> yeah, it's that age. And I'm going to be honest, I feel kind of bad about that. On the one hand, I, I, I guess I'm more torn. On the one hand, Jon Stewart does come off as a very sincere person, despite the fact that you could perceive him as having a very clear, specific political slant. But Who doesn't uh, these days? Yeah, that's that's certainly true. But I at the same time I'm not sure how to feel about it because there have been times where it's really pissed where where the Daily Show has actively pissed me off. Uh if I may just clarify, pissed you off at the Daily Show or just at the world? At the Daily oh. Show, specifically. 
For instance, this is a long time ago at this point, but I remember when the ambassador to Iraq, who at the time I think was Ryan Crocker, and General Petraeus were testifying before the Senate during the Iraq War. And I watched the entirety of that testimony, which was about five and a half hours, and it was incredibly nuanced. And I felt that these were two men who were trying to solve an impossibly difficult problem and were very sincerely doing a, a, a very good job at it, or at least the best job that anyone could hope. And then The Daily Show did a bit on it where they grabbed 30 seconds of highlight reel clips and basically just poked fun at it. And I, I was like, wait a minute, that wasn't fair. And that moment changed my perception of The Daily Show a bit. I think The Daily Show is at its best when it's lampooning other media, particularly yeah. Fox News, which obviously yeah. deserves every bit of lambasting that it totally. can get. The Daily Show is a very important program in that respect. But sometimes when they actually take government affairs that I think are serious and they summarize them unfairly or something like that, it really it gets under my skin and it makes me particularly sad when I hear those statements about The Daily Show being where everyone gets their news. Because I'm like, well, maybe they should, maybe young people should instead actually like do the boring stuff and take take a real interest in this instead of sort of snidely dismissing it with like one funny line or something like that. Yeah. yeah and it, old man rant. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely at its best as being like a news aggregate and it's a cultural commentary on other news sources and not like actually going after news. Not going for the sources, going for the bullshit reporting on the sources. I'll play devil's advocate and say that I think that The Daily Show and Jon Stewart are very upfront that we are a comedy show, don't you know me? I, I don't mm. think that they intend for people to, to really rely on them as a news source, but I think there are you know, plenty, especially in the age demographic that you outlined, Jeff. I think they are trying to be a comedy show, so taking you know highlights, like you said, I mean, that's probably you know, not the best way to go about things, but... I think at the end of the day, they are a comedy show trying to do comedy, and uh, it's just an unfortunate outcome, I think. I think they have to have some accountability at this point. Like, they've become an institution unto themselves, and they can't. Th and I know they keep saying, we're a comedy show, and that, like, somehow absolves them of all responsibility. But, like, especially with the example Jeff was using, I mean, that's what they call Fox News out on is, you know, taking yeah. things out of context. Steve. And then even if they're just a comedy show, they can't turn around and do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the comedy show excuse has been used several times by Jon Stewart himself when people try to call him out on exactly the sort of thing I'm calling him out on. And it, it does become an out, like a, a false out. That is a show with real power, and certainly they take advantage of that power frequently. I mean, just this past week, I mean, I, I totally was cheering The Daily Show on when they were doing their segment about food stamps. I thought that was great. But at the same time, that's an exercise of power and influence. That is not necessarily an exercise in entertainment. Entertainment is being utilized as a tool, but they're still trying to get a message out there, a very clear message. And I think Kristen hit the nail on the head when she said there needs to be some accountability. They can't just run to the comedy excuse whenever someone says, you know, I, I, I want to criticize you for your messaging. Because, yeah, I, I remember when Crossfire got canceled and Jon Stewart was constantly going on the air saying things like, you know, our show follows a puppet show about prank calls. Like, I don't need to be hardball with the president because of that. And it's like, well, w whether you like it or not, you're in the position of, of real power uh, yeah. among young people. Like, you got to, at, at some point, you got to say, like, we need to make sure that we do this right. And if we screw up, we, we should acknowledge that we screw up. So, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes he doesn't go after his guests the way that I want him to. But I don't want to be—I I don't want to be hard on the Daily Show, too hard on the Daily Show, because I love it and I'm yeah. really glad it exists. I'm really, really glad it exists. Um, I just want to openly acknowledge that there are consequences to uh, taking it as gospel or to focusing on it as real news, uh, as it were. I went so. to the rally to restore sanity. <laughs> it was awesome. God, I'm jealous. I had to beg off of work, but you know, I live in New York, so I got the uh, Ariana Huffington bus. Remember that? She <laughs> went on and said, "Like, I will bus everyone down." And I was like, "Okay, sure." But then her website, <laughs> Huffington Post. I don't know if you heard of it. Tiny website. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, little startup. But they had a sign-up sheet. I'm like, "Oh, this sounds legit." And it was 
actually kind of awesome. That's good. I'm glad that the Huffington Post did something good. <laughs> hi oh, High fives <laughs> all around. Hey, they gave us waters. They took care of us. It was good. So let's, uh, let's really quickly talk about Cold Bear before we move on. And just, did you guys think that that was going to work when it first started? No. Yeah. I was right there with you. I remember being like, I... I guess it'll probably be another daily show, and I don't see how that could possibly be successful. But it really turned out not to be. It turned out to be very different. It had its own voice, and yeah. I like that. Well, he was doing the bit, which I feel like has mellowed a little bit. It used to be like hardcore Bill O'Reilly Republican. It started off as like pure emulation-oriented satire, but now it's like a little more satire-satire. Yeah. The emulation's still certainly there. Like He'll do tip of the hat, wag of the finger, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's hard to classify, which is why it, somehow it sometimes it's better than the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that they've managed to establish a unique identity and that they're good companion pieces for one another. Yeah. And when you're not in the mood for one, you can easily just do the other, and that's really nice. I think they I think they definitely complement each other. Have it, you know, like I think it's good that they share sort of like that same eleven to twelve time block like they, they complement each other and i think because the formats are just different enough i think they're good it's a good little pair to go one and then the other mm-hmm. you know we don't really watch it when it's on actual tv but even when we on hulu when we watch them it's usually in pairs it's usually a daily show and then a colbert right after it mm-hmm. yeah no that's funny how that works you know even when you're doing a la carte television it's just they just yeah. work together it's yeah. natural it's a yeah. natural flow mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up our discussion of late-night television. We're going to take another refill break, and then we'll be back with Geek of the Week. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Hear me! And we're back, so we're going to end this episode the same way we end every episode of This Is Serious Business, and that is with our Geek of the Week segment, where we talk about things we've been watching, reading, doing, or playing over the past few weeks. So, let's get started with Kristen. Kristen, you are on the hot seat. What have you been up to lately? Oh man, Hannibal's back, and we're on the fourth episode that just aired this past Friday, and the first three were kind of like recapping the first season, like, where we are, very heavily focused on Will Graham and his case and all that. And now we're moving on to more Murder of the Week and more like what the first season was like and kind of what we loved in it. And then they killed off one of my favorite characters. Oh. Yeah, which sucks. It's, like, an amazing scene. And I watched it a couple times after it got dark out, which is probably unwise of me. But just, like the way Hannibal moves, like, there's, they just kind of square off against each other, and then he just, like, darts and, like, turns off the light, and it's like, you just hear, like, disjointed music and gunshots, and it's, like, the worst thing in the world, because I love this character, but it's also, like, so well shot. It's so good. And I can't decide how I feel about it, because it's, like, one of the things I liked about Hannibal is that it's a serial killer show, but it's not all women who are dying. It's a fairly even split of, you know, male and female victims, but of known characters, it's the dudes that get to live. And, like, they're killing off another awesome female character. Mm. Um, but also, she's getting close, and she's realizing stuff, and she's the smartest of the people in the FBI. She's the one who would be in that position, so it's, like, it's completely motivated, but also, mm-hmm. like, why'd you have to kill her, man? So it's a merit kill, basically. Ye- Ye- I mean, she's in his pantry. <laughs> right, yeah. If you're in <laughs> Hannibal Lecter's pantry, I suppose, A, you are onto him, and B, you are asking to die. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, she was, like, snooping around in his refrigerator at first. I'm like, girl, no, get out of there! And then she went mm-hmm. downstairs. Um, and I think she's, like, seeing a meat yeah, locker yeah. or whatever. They don't show what she sees. They just show her face. And it's great because <laughs> she is horrified. And then, you know, the lights come on. She turns around. They just kind of square. And she's got this, like, awesome menacing look. But then it goes badly. And apparently, like, most of the next episode is people just responding to what happens to her. Because I'm sure it's not great. Uh, 
Great. Yeah. Because oh. even if you've only seen Silence of the Lambs, you know that Hannibal Lecter has a flair for the theatrical. That he does. So I think he goes um, a full Damien Hurst on her. You know that cow that was segmented? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on. Oh, man. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, so, the, sh- the show is crazy good, but it's also like a stone cold bummer. Mm-hmm. So, do you find yourself rooting for or against Hannibal? At, in the first season, he's kind of a lovable scamp, almost. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing with him is that most of the time, they don't show the in between stuff. Like, my favorite scene in the entire series so far is just this montage of him picking up a recipe card and then picking up a business card and then slamming meat down on his table. So all the in-between, and then, you know, they show corpses, like, the FBI people, like, looking over corpses, but all, like, the stalking and hunting stuff, they don't really show. Mm-hmm. And so you can, I mean, there were a lot of people who were, like, wow, they're making him evil, aren't they? Like, he eats people. Yeah. Like, yeah, he always has been. He's a bad person. Um, he does bad things to people. Yeah, and now he's get like, he's just fucking around with people's minds, and he was menacing Gillian Anderson. So much that she left the show. Not in real life, obviously, but like I think the they, character. Yeah, I think they wrote her out. I'm glad they didn't write her out by eating her, but <laughs> I don't think she's coming back because she basically she was his therapist and she fired him as a therapist and she said like I think you're dangerous and like there's again it's shot well it's like oh she's not for eating um, where like he's just advancing on her and she's retreating and just like a close up on their feet and oh. But then she she knows that she's in a show called Hannibal, and she gets the fuck out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. That's good. The end of that episode, he shows up in his murder suit, which is this clear plastic, you know, Patrick Bateman suit. He shows up at her house, and like everything's co- all the furniture is covered in sheets. It's like, yes, live on the moon, girl, get out of there. Mm-hmm. So Jillian Anderson was wise enough to escape, but sadly, someone else was not. Yeah, someone else didn't really suspect him until she got to look at his pantry the thing with the show is that like you're screaming at people all the time but it's like how people in dracula don't know they're in dracula right it's like oh let's go see dracula's castle that seems like a good idea but apparently according to brian fuller who's the creator the fact that the name fucking rhymes will come up in the show which is great because i just want to see a round of face palms Mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking rhymes. What's wrong with us? Hannibal the cannibal. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that sounds good. I'm glad to see that that show is remaining uh, enthralling even into the second season. They keep doing eye stuff, though. Just don't... Stuff happens to people's eyes. It's not great. No. Yeah. No. Oh. Uh, on that uplifting note, let's move <laughs> on to John. John, what do you got going on lately? Friday night, I finally got around to seeing... Frozen, which is a, <gasps> the latest Disney movie that, you know, Michelle's been going on about since it came out in November. Like, it's so good, so good. Oh, I thought you uh, had already seen it. I thought you saw it with her. Okay, that makes more sense. No. But I gotta say, it sort of lived up to the hype. It was very good. It was, it was, I thought it was a very good, classic-feeling Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe it had too much singing for my taste, but it didn't really get to me. I mean, that was the thing that Michelle kept saying. It's really good. It's just a lot of singing. I don't know if you like all the singing. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really mind it too much, but it was it was very good. I think it it maintained a lot of the classic Disney tropes, yet it was very modern. The main heroine of the story sort of saved herself, you know. I mean, she wasn't she wasn't saved by the man, you know. Like the the guy character didn't save the day, so that was a nice fresh take. It was also I didn't realize this, but it was also written and co-directed by a woman. Yep. Which I don't know how many other Disney movies can say that. Actually, uh, I think the vast majority of recent Disney movies have all been. Um, I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, hold on a sec. Gonna have to look it up. Jennifer Lee. Well, it's the same person who did Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, I think actually she's been a big part of Disney lately. Kind of an essential person in in the past several successful Disney movies. So mm-hmm. that's good to hear. Cool. All right, so let's see. What have I been up to lately? I recently got to check out Free to Play, which is Valve's new documentary. They released it on YouTube and on Steam about the first international Dota 2 tournament, which admittedly was a tremendously big deal. The movie definitely makes it out to be uh, perhaps a bigger deal than it was because, you know, they they kind of use perhaps deceptive visualizations, because it was a unique tournament in that it had a prize pool of $1.6 million, which is a tremendously large amount 
for any sort of esports or video game related tournament. But internationally, that's not unheard of money. And certainly, it was not the first landmark tournament of esports as it sort of portrays itself as in the movie. And I would say about the first 15 minutes of it, an advertorial, I was a little let down because I had heard good things about it up until that point. It definitely leaves out a lot of information about other games, which makes sense given that it's a first-party documentary by Valve. But once it turns the corner and actually starts talking about the three people who are the subject of the documentary, it's three professional players Dendi, who is from the Ukraine, uh, HYHY, who is from Singapore, and then Fear, who is from the United States. It becomes this very real and very compelling story about three people from different corners of the world who have very different lives, who all share a passion for the same thing. I was tearing up by the end of it, legitimately tearing up, because they're talking about Dendi's father dying of cancer like before the tournament and stuff like that. I was just like, holy shit, like what what just happened here? I ended up sort of blindsided by uh, how emotionally invested I was by the end of it. HYHY's story is really fascinating as well because he does not have a supportive family, despite the fact that I won't say how well he does, but he does very well at that tournament and ends up with significant prize money. And he ends up foregoing a semester of schooling in order to go. And his parents are not happy about that. And it's really fascinating to see because they interview his family and they ask relatively tough questions. And he's like sitting right there while his mom is saying like bad things to him about what he's doing with himself. And you're just like, whoa, like this, this got real. And Fear's life is very interesting as well. He does have sort of a semi-supportive family, but he does end up having to move out in order to pursue this dream because he practices with several people in Europe, so he was up all night basically playing, and his mom was a lawyer, and she couldn't sleep while he was up with the dog in the next room, etc. And she, like, raised him as a single mom with his brothers, and it ended up being just a really solid human piece and they focus just enough on the gameplay to keep you interested but they recognize the fact that dota is an incredibly difficult game to follow if you are not intimately familiar with how it works so they came up with their own animated clips to describe the circumstances instead of just showing gameplay footage which was a brilliant decision and ends up being really cool so even if you have no idea what dota is i would give free to play a chance it's available on youtube And don't worry if the first 10 minutes you're like, what is this? After that, the remaining hour or so is really stellar and definitely worth your time. So go check it out. So at this point, I want to give people an opportunity to make any shout-outs and to let people know where they can find you online. Let's start with Kristen. Kristen, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nero's Liar. John, what about you? On Twitter, at Draw the Story. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Tisby Jeff. That's T-I-S-B-J-E-F-F. You can find this podcast at TisbyCast.com, as well as links to our Tumblr, our Facebook, our iTunes, all that other stuff. And as always, I, I I just have absolutely no idea how to end this episode. Live from New York, it's Sunday afternoon. For you, that's true. It's not true for me or John. (laughs) <laughs> Live from Boston. <laughs> I want to thank John. I want to thank Kristen. I want to thank Bastille for performing. <laughs> 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 saxophone music. <laughs> this is just my Rhode Island thing coming out. But I would say that uh, White Russian is more of an adult coffee milk. That's true. It definitely has the, uh, the coffee... It's it's a it's sort of a mocha coffee liqueur kind of thing. Uh, Nerds. Should I should I get more of it or should I not? Yes. This is serious business. Be Bruce Dickinson. <laughs>